one could actually say that the history of the nature spirits began before the history of humanity. In a way, the elemental beings, who are not just the nature spirits and elemental beings, are actually distinct. They are distinctly different beings. The nature spirits are more advanced in, in the sense that they are the master, the diva beings, who guide the will of the gods, guide the will of the gods into the elemental beings, who are the unconscious ground matrix beings of nature itself. And one could say, actually, that the gods created an orchestra, and that orchestra is the world, and the nature spirits and the elementals are the instruments of that orchestra, and we are the players. We haven't yet learnt to play them properly. We, we can only play the nature spirits properly when we become conscious of the compositions that the gods have got to give us, the new compositions. Then we will understand the instruments because our bodies are really also worlds in which what we call the nature spirits and the elementals are actually involved in maintaining. And one of the interesting things is that the reasons one could say we have experienced what we call death is because we get, we, through our own individual ego and astrality at this time, because we, become, we have become separated from a consciousness of the gods, we have it as small children, we, we have a, a feeling for the gods, but we don't have conscious thought of the gods. We lose that at this time. We grow up. It's almost as though we're like a tuning fork that then goes out of tune. And the elemental beings that are, in a, in a sense, entrapped in our incarnation forces then can no longer themselves read the score properly. They fall out of tune and to get back into the realm of the composer, the elemental beings have to leave the structure of the physical body and they leave it as one can call it the what is called collectively the etheric body which is really a synthesis an orchestration of the work of elemental beings <coughs> and they actually leave to regain and they leave with our higher ego with our true identity they go back into the realm where this one can say the compositions are to recompose to give us new awareness so that we can come down again into the archetypal instrument that is built again in, in, in one could say, in a relationship between nature, the physical nature and the gods. Between the two, the idea comes down and takes hold of the substance and forms the new instrument. And then the ego must learn to play it and must to try and reconnect through our body the whole of the earth with the gods again. But because that constantly, we fall short of that, we have to go back. And we're constantly looping back down, like in a loom. We go under, under life and over death, under life and over death, until we eventually have woven a loom of, one could say, like a huge harp, which will stretch out beyond the earth, in which we ourselves will, will consciously recreate what was Pythagoras called the music of the spheres, which was the harmonic, musical, divine musical activity of the gods in their creation of the form of the world. One could imagine, for instance, if you look at a zodiac, it's like the, an ensemble of musicians, all small groups, violinists, trumpeters, they're all around, and they sound across this space. And as they sound across this space with their different notes, these notes cross over each other and harmonize, and they create patterns and shapes, and then other beings pour substance into these shapes and gradually the world is formed 
on which eventually the human being can actually stand. Now we have reached what has been called in occult science the finished work state of the gods, where the gods have actually done all they can. They have given us all the structures and ingredients for a new creation. It's like a recipe. They've given us all the ingredients, they've even given us a recipe. But we've got to learn how to do the cooking, and, it's, and we've got to learn how to play the instrument. But the danger is, of course, and the, this comes to this great mystery of evil, which is also involved with the elemental beings and nature spirits, the purpose of there are beings that have intercepted their being between the purpose of the gods and human consciousness. <coughs> so the, the, we, ha we are in this world at this time because of various things which we can go into more deeply later. So the finished work state is when the gods have done all they can. There are many ways of looking at it metaphorically and metaphor is a very high thing. It's really, it really is a language of code to which the gods can explain to us where we're at and processes that are not visible. It's rather like the author writes a play. The lights are all in the theatre, all adjusted. The stage is, the curtain is opened. The script has been learnt. The director has directed the moves. And now it's the actors who are alone. They come out onto the stage. This is like coming into incarnation. Everything else has been done. The audience is there. They paid their money. The theatre's built. Now it's up to the single actor or the group of actors, the human being, steps out into that loneliness. But that point where everything has flowed to that moment is the point from which everything can then flow out into a whole new world. Because you could say it may take six months to get a, a performance together, which is over in one hour. But that hour, that performance, can affect a hundred years beyond its, you know, its, its effect is infinite. So it's, it's, this is this crossing point. It's like a crucifixion. Everything converges, goes through the center, and then comes out in a completely new way. And that's really what's the challenge is now. The in world, all its ingredients, the plants, the animals, the water, the four elements, then all the elemental beings are there. They are the cast. They are the special effects. They are everything for a new curtain to open, for a new world to come out. And we are, we are now, in a sense, we are everything. We are, in the future, we become not just the performers, we are the authors, potentially, of a new creation. But to be, before we can do that, we've got to understand what language the script is in. And we've got to understand the plot. That is, we have got to be the final finale, the climax and the crescendo of the plot. We will define how it ends or how a new one begins. <clears throat> and to do that, we've got to understand what we're dealing with. Now, in ordinary occult science, it speaks about the four basic na nature elemental beings, the gnomes who are the beings of the earth. Now, w that name, we could call it anything you like. Names are not important, but they, that's one name for The gnomes are connected with the earth element, the undines with the water element, the silps with the air element, and the salamanders with the fire element. And the activity, one could say, in simple terms of describing the gnome activity, is working in the mineral sphere. If you imagine a circle, they are radiating from the center to the edge of the circle, and then they are coming back to the center, this constant activity, which is both pushing out. They push out against the realm above them, which is the plant realm. And they pull down the mineral realm into density. 
and this at the same time is allowing the plants to have a foundation. So they have this kind of breathing activity. These are, and these beings, the gnomes, like all the other elemental beings, are overseen by nature divas who work from very specific environments. There may be a diva of a particular mountain or a particular forest who then oversees and relates the activity of all the elementals in their realm to the whole earth. And then there's another being of the whole earth who relates the activity of the whole earth to the solar system. And, and this goes on. It's a kind of real, this is a real kind of orchestration to it. It's like a conductor with different instruments relating all the different instruments to the main theme. Okay, then, and the gnomes are obviously connected with the mineral sphere. And a, another thing that's very important to understand about elemental beings is that they live, they travel in time just as we travel in space. One of the, the characteristics of the elemental being is that they constantly take elements of the Earth back to the early stages of the Earth and then bring them forward to the future. If you imagine when a plant grows up, it's growing actually up into the future. Its roots are in the past. It's the broken down material of previous manifestations of the plant world that it feeds off. It gr grows up. Its leaves are very much in the present. Its flower is a prophecy. And its seed is really something of the future. It is actually a living embodiment in the present of the future. And then this then drops back again down into the primal beginnings of the ancient past and then it grows up again. And this is this, what the elemental beings do. They literally can travel from now to the beginning of the Earth's creation and back again. All the time they're doing this. They're, so all the processes that go on in nature, like the breaking down of substance, for instance, if you look, take a piece of soil and you hold it in your hand, you've got microorganisms. Ordinary science talks about microorganisms. What those microorganisms are doing, they are actually taking the present state of the Earth back to a state that is very, very similar to how the Earth was in ancient times. What the microorganisms do, actually, is they make the mineral world plant-like. So, for instance, around a tree, the Earth itself is being drawn into lines of force which will eventually become part of the tree, the wood. And there are these transitional realms, the microorganisms, the fungi, the yeasts. They are transitional realms between mineral and plant. And they're also transitional realms between plant and animal. And it's the elemental beings that make sure that these connections are constantly made. Now, if we're going to the next one, we'll come back to the gnomes, but the next level is the undines, the water. And their characteristic in, as elemental beings is to encircle. Just as water encircles, it flows around, it embraces, it descends and circles. So their activity is all about that. And that, this gives a lot of the shape that, to certain plants, this kind of enveloping nature, which is also an echoed in the whole Earth's enclosure, the whole spherical form of the Earth. And of course, we know that water has, is also intimately connected with memory. And water is also the element most connected with what they call the etheric body. And the etheric body is that having its main two functions, to maintain the life processes of the physical body and to be a receptacle for memory, to carry perceptions of the past through the present into the future. So it's like this liquid, and we know that the, from an ordinary scientific point of view, the body is over 70% water. So it has this quality of 
in the water as, is, as are, as it were, printed images in the fluid nature of the human being. One could also say, yes, that the elemental beings, particularly the gnomes, and, but all of them in a way, in their activity over the whole earth, do something which is an exact image of what goes on inside the human body. They carry material, they carry energy through the entire earth. They, they take passageways, tunnels, byways and thoroughfares through the earth that we are not aware of at all. Because we have this illusion that in the physical world there's a solid world, there's this, we, we know it's solid and then there's a non-physical world. But actually it's much more true to say that when you're, when you're an elemental being or when you're out of what we call the physical body, then the soul world or, those, or the elemental world is physical. And this world is completely non-physical. There are beings that pass right through us. We are completely non-solid to them. It's a, it's a, so it depends which world you're in. You know, well, there are many ways of picturing that. But one of the most significant things is going to be that when we become conscious of the elemental beings of the Earth in a, in a truly new way, what will happen is that we will also be aware of the Earth's whole body. For instance, like I've said this before about the opposite points. If you take a globe, you can then delineate the opposite points all over the globe. And there are very, very special energy pathways through the interior of the Earth and the opposite points. And then if you cut the Earth in half, then you can take the opposite points again of that half. And you can go on breaking it down. And what you're actually doing is you're actually showing the pathways in which elemental beings take. And, you know, this whole idea of ley lines and even the things that Nikola Tesla spoke about in electricity, saying if you put certain points or, or metal rods in parts of the Earth, you can manifest, bring into manifestation the Earth's energy body. And this would be revealing the pathways of the elemental beings, because what's actually happening, what's extraordinary about the elemental beings, they experience what we don't, we experience day and night as a, as a time experience. They experience, they can experience both at the same time. Like, for instance, we, you know, we know that now it's dark over here, it's winter. In another part of the Earth, it's summer and it's day. And this experience, to be able to move between these realms, you know, without, the hin without having to wait for the process of the Earth to turn, is one of the characteristics of the elemental being. And this is partly to balance processes on the Earth, all the time balancing, because in a way, the dynamic of the etheric body is immensely rapid, much, much faster than the physical body. There are things going on, connections constantly being made to make, we know even on a physical level, when you stand on one leg, you have to balance. And in balancing, what's happening is all sorts of muscles are constantly oscillating, interplaying. And this is what's actually happening in the elemental world all the time. In tremendous balancing acts of being to, to distribute, in a way, on the one hand, what they're doing. Of course, this is the great crisis we're in. We know that in, the, in, in, the, in youth and in early childhood, the warmth of the body is dispersed very evenly throughout the whole body. It flows in an uninterrupted way through the body. As the, as the body differentiates, as organs become form and they start to take a function in the physical world, and the bones start to separate, temperature then starts to break up. So some parts of the body become hot, some become cooler. And this immense, intense differentiation takes place. And this is also one of the reasons what we call the aging process, which is something we have to go through. Because what, it, what it's then saying is that we, have, we must become conscious because in our bodies, this idea that the kingdom of heaven is within you and we are made in the image of God, 
is that all the processes of the world creation, all the stages through which it went through, are actually as form in our body and as function. All the activities of digestion, circulation, assimilation, all the nervous system processes, all these are miniaturized images of the divine creative processes. So that when you actually become, so the very meaning of having to age and feel this separation, and, and because we're not yet able to do it, not only does it separate to the point where we can then see and take hold of it, it actually separates completely and the body falls apart. That's what happens. But eventually, one will, one's consciousness will be able to become the warmth of understanding and vision which will link again together these organs of creation which will enable us this is to enable us to recreate the world and uh, <clears throat> another thing is all the things that we take for granted as part of the earth's function will will change the problem with the elemental beings now is precisely because they were there one could say in the beginning there was this cosmic fairground the gods created their first offspring and these were children and they were the elemental beings and the gods made for them a wonderful framework and it was a fairground it held the skelters roundabouts you know all those extraordinary things where the elementals could move around this wondrous creation like the water beings through water turning up and down fire and they could they could flow around in this realm but then came this, uh, but they weren't really free. As, as small children, they were in a way caught up. They were part of the fairground. It wasn't as if they were really riding just the things. They were actually were the roundabout. They actually were the helters. They hadn't got the consciousness to really step outside and look at what they're experiencing completely. So the next impulse was the next offspring, were those beings that would be able to eventually have the freedom to choose to be on the, in the fairground, to step away from it, to look at it, and eventually to recreate it. Okay, and that was the purpose. And then this was in process. And then what happened was that other beings became jealous, one could say, to a certain extent. Or they couldn't, they wanted to create another fairground. So, but they came in and they wanted, they, they actually started to instill into beings that they were ready to do this before they were. And in that process, this, would, this was actually going to cut off the, those first beings from the gods, and of course we know this is the whole idea of the Luciferic temptation, the idea that you are gods, you can do it, you can do it, why do you have to depend on them? You can run it yourself, it's your business, you do it, you can be the manager. So one of the great problems was because the, and in a sense in the divinest, highest and deepest will of all, it was seen that this would actually ultimately serve a purpose, that the, the, uh, the tempt, this temptation would arise and that human beings would necessarily become separated from the gods and become in a way accessible to going their own direction which may be against the purpose of the gods. Now this entity was able to give us many things, this being attempted us. One of them was the, the capacity for individual consciousness, but with that is a two-edged sword as we know, came comes the possibility of intense selfishness and the very experience of selfish desires could appear. And then of course what happened then was, interestingly, from a purely geometrical point of view, before that time all the beings were kind of relating, I've said this before, they were relating above and below, like a plant, to the root, to the sky, to the flower, to the sun, to the root, or, or alternatively when the sun was within, to the sun up. It's just, it was this, when this temptation took place, the whole coordinate shifted 
and this has been seen in many different ways, so that the, the idea of objects existing in the physical world started to appear, and objects that you desired. And as the sense of the gods receded, so the intensity of the appearance of the object of desire becomes greater on the physical plane. And the, uh, the human being and other beings begin to see, begin to believe that the wisdom what they had formerly got from above is hidden in all other beings that they perceive around them. So hence we have this idea of hunting, we have this idea of war, we'll go to war with them, but they've got it over there, they've got the secret, they've got the knowledge, we'll get that, that's there, it's that land, it belongs there. Even the most basic things like the fish, it's in the fish, let's catch them, we'll eat them. Or it's in the stars, we look at the stars, we can at least grab the light or we can even go to the stars. It's everywhere except where it really is and of course then that brings in this idea of the divine descent where again in a true way the idea is that that is within you that and if you open to that all the other things in the world will start opening to you in, an, in a new way and the wisdom the old wisdom will become a new truth and will work, flow out of but of course because and we're not a very critical state because of the temptation and not just Lucifer, but now because of Ariman, a third sphere was created around the world, which had never been there before. It was created by human beings because of the human astral body, the human desire body, having forgotten its true nature, its true origin, and its true destiny, became, becomes attached. And it, these attached desires form a sphere around the Earth. The consciousness becomes, shrinks down to locality, both in space and time. And this sphere is you could call it the purgatorial sphere, or it's called the karma loka sphere. It does it would not exist if human beings did not cling on to desires for the sense world as it is now. Because what the gods promise us is that by with by maintaining our balance and not being wrongly attached to the sense world, we are preparing in ourselves a future super sense world. A sense world that we can ourselves create, not the one that we merely feed off and get attached to and depend on, but one that can actually come out of us. But to get that, we've got to go through so many processes. But because of this sphere that's been created, this karma loka sphere, when we die, we have to go through this purgatorial experience of gradually weaning ourselves from the present state of the earth so that we will be able to make a body which will enable us to come down in future states of the earth. But because of this, because of this karma locosphere, this has had an incredibly powerful effect on the elemental beings. But what's it done? It's trapped them. It's trapped many elemental beings. Because the astral body, in our, they, they work through our astral body, and they, they, we are, we have been, we were once like, you know, like glass. They could see through us to their parents. But gradually, as our, we became attached to the density of the earth, so our being densified, and the elemental beings could no longer see their own parents through us. And gradually, they, our own desires compelled them to follow. We actually forced them along the direction of our own desires. And, we, and this, of course, what happens then? Pockets of elemental beings get trapped in all sorts of ways. And then out of them comes what modern science calls the microorganic world, of the pathological microorganisms, which come back as epidemics. All physical illnesses are the result of something that's being purified and cleansed from an earlier psychic state. And that's, and this is, you know, this has come up, this is a necessary state because we're learning in this process, we're actually learning laws which will enable us to be creator beings in the distant future because all these things have happened in another way.
before. Sylphs are connected with the air, and also the other connection with the air is, is the astral body, because of the astral body is like the air is much more expansive. It's much less easy to control. It, it fills any space. It is, it is much more easily disturbed. We know that, for instance, it takes an awful lot of wind to, to lift the water into waves. It takes, you know, but it takes much less heat to make the air become turbulent. So the astral body is very, very quickly made turbulent. And this is where the sylphs are. And of course, that, out of that comes, you know, one can say the disturbances in the weather. The whole weather conditions of the Earth are also the result of psychic states of the past. And uh, these are patterns that have formed. But the sylphs have, you know, like all these elemental beings, have many, many functions. One of their functions is to carry cosmic wisdom through the plant world down into the Earth. I mean, all the elemental beings in the summer work with the plants. So you have, like, the fire beings, salamanders, will work around the petals, work around the flower. They will form the, help the formation of these volatile oils and the seed. And the volatile oils will then expand, literally, exponentially. In less dense than air, they will flow up into the atmosphere, and these these are kind of also breathed by other beings. These are a kind of incense for higher beings, and then <coughs> the, the the cosmic wisdom of the summer, which is in a way through the sun, the entire wisdom of the solar system is concentrated and poured down into the plant world. It then goes down through the stem into the leaves, and is guided by the silts down into the undines, into the water table and then it then it goes down into the where the realm of the earth beings the gnomes are and they then carry this wisdom right the way through the winter so they and, they, and we see an extension of their work is in the realm of the crystals because the crystals are really plants that flower and blossom instead of every year every 25,920 years they change color they open and close but this is a very deep slow rhythm and that the, so the, the paradox is the gnomes deal with the slowest and the fastest. I mean, they cross over the earth uh, all the time and they're going backwards and forwards through the earth in all these tunnels. They're working with the mineral. They're actually preserving the mineral realm until we are ready in our consciousness to dissolve it and raise it into a higher plant state. But, but until that time, the, the gnomes, one of their tasks is to maintain, on the one hand, the earth, the mineral realm, as a shield to prevent the interior of the forces of the interior of the earth breaking out onto the surface. And there is also a connection between some volcanic eruptions and an immense astrality problem on some parts of the earth. So that's why there has always been, in some biblical sense, this idea that you know, some natural disasters are brought about by human behavior. Though we're not, most people are not aware of that. I mean, if human beings are not following their higher ego, these forces that are in the human being will flow down into the earth untransformed. The elemental beings who want to go back to the gods become extremely disturbed and they have to break up. They have to, to a certain extent, destroy the human situation that is creating a psychic state that is preventing this reconnection of the earth forces with the, with the universe. So that's one of the reasons for these you know, things like earthquakes and, and volcanoes. I mean, that whole, that's connected with another huge mystery, which is the interior of the Earth. But anyway, the, the gnomes, they are involved in this preservation of the shield, 
and also this idea of the, the crystals, not all the minerals are crystalline in that sense, but some very specific, as being kind of eyes of time. Instead of being eyes of space, we have eyes that we look into space, they look into time. The crystals are actually, they're not eyes that look out, they are eyes that receive mysteries of the cosmic rhythms of time into the earth. And they connect the present with the ancient earth. And how, what does that do? That actually maintains the form of the earth itself. So these are extraordinary things. And the, the only way you can understand it is when you realize the sheer unbelievable numbers of these beings that are filling every... A modern scientific paradigm is a curious thing. I, I, I know I'm jumping around a bit, but this is the way of the elemental world anyway. But um, the modern scientific paradigm is curious. It's vast. It's huge extensively, but it has no intensive nature. It has no internal resonance. It's, you know, you have this idea of vast space, you know, huge empty space, and you have massive great thermonuclear furnaces. You have galaxies and millions of thermonuclear furnaces. But when it, but there's really no depths in the ideas. There's no, it's just a very physical, the processes they're describing are extremely physical and extremely primitive and simple. And there's no connection between that and what we have here. That, that's just landing up there, something out there, and we're just here. And there. Whereas the spiritual paradigm acknowledges all those things, but its explanation is so much richer because it, uh, it says those are just temporarily perceived. We talk about them as physical, but actually there are deep psychic connections between everything. You know, what, what we regard as physical now will one day be psychic, and what is psychic will be physical. And so, you know, the, the picture is so much richer. And in a way, you could say, in the, in the far distant future, in the ancient past, there is no such thing as a thing. Everything is being. Everything is alive. This temporary manifestation of death which we experience is, is only temporary. It's this thing, this state, which we need to have so that we can slow down and we can understand. And when we can understand enough, that understanding will be infused with an intuition which will flow from merely being a cold, analytical, spectral light into being a kindling sun which will set in motion every dead object into identity and life. And Blake talks about that in his poem, Jerusalem. And the salamanders, of course, the fire spirits, Fire, in a way, is the most esoteric of all the elements, really. The most difficult, and it's supposed to be the most primordial. You know, there are many creation myths. Some say, you know, the, cr the creation myths of water. We come out of water, we've come, you know, the water and the word. But the, the, the further back you go, the more fire is seen as the primordial element that creates. It's the supremest energy, the most spiritual energy of all. It's the element that most of all can permeate all other elements. It can warm the air, it can warm, go into the water, it can most deeply permeate everything else. And those beings really bring down this warming faculty into the earth, this cosmic warmth, which this is also a very interesting thing. We now, because of, I can say, Aramanic beings, the Aramanic being, the one who is the inspirer of materialism, materialistic science, materialistic perception, we look at the sun and we say, yeah, that's a thermonuclear furnace, and it warms the earth. The sun makes the earth warm. It's actually this very incomplete perception. What really happens is that our biological state, the state of our bodies, makes us experience what the sun sheds upon us as physical warmth. Actually, it's not. It's actually 
imbued with all kinds and layers of spiritual wisdom and intuition. And really what one could say is that the sun, I've often said this, it's just a picture, and there are many ways you can look at it, but the sun is really, in, in, at, on the afternoon and the sunset, it to a certain extent is the, an image of the collective world human ego of the future in communion, in higher communion. It shines upon us and draws us towards itself. So it is our own higher future nature drawing us towards it. In the morning, it's an image of how the communion of the gods ray the image of the human being down onto us. But of course, as we're in a materialistic consciousness, we, we are woken up by the sun. It has an incredible effect on everything. And it works on the plants and everything else because in, in the depths of their deepest sleep, they also know this as a reality. But um, we, you know, the sun, we, see, we experience it as, it, you know, we, because we're shut off. And the more shut off from that we are, the more we just experience it as physical heat. That physical, the whole idea of physical cold, physical heat, all those sensations we have of a physical nature will one day be returned to the point where soul warmth and physical warmth will become one. Soul heat. So those, those real things that are now separated, so we have the inner psychic senses and we have the out, but they will one day become one in a completely new way. And that is the, one of the great illusions of the modern world. It's not that science, in a way, is just wrong. It's just that it is actually revealing correctly the present limitations of the modern human organism. But as the human organism evolves, it, it transcends the present state of nature and has an image of the future condition of the world. So it, it's the danger with modern science, um, Steiner says the danger is not that it's wrong, or it is that it could be made correct in the sense that if it has its will unhindered, it will incarcerate the human being in a present state and prevent the true transformation of the planet into future conditions. It will hold us in our present state. And this will, of course, it won't just be maintained. It will actually harden and harden and harden until we actually lose our freedom altogether. Because we're growing to freedom, we haven't attained it yet. And the elemental beings depending upon us, they depend upon us, the nature spirits depend upon us. They can't, they can't get back to their parents unless we make ourselves not only a window, but then a doorway through which they can return. And that's how the situation is. And if we don't make ourselves a window, a door and a window, and we just become a wall, then the elemental beings will become our enemies. And they will create diseases in us, merely to break us down so that they can return. So it's a very, it's wound up with so many complex issues. Steiner's quite, also quite clear about it. He says there are beings, if we talk about the more negative elemental beings, he says that there are beings connected with birth and death who are actually inimical to human life. They actually, they, if they worked unhindered, they would actually completely destroy human life. And he says that these beings are also the ones involved in technology. Of course, these are the aromatic beings. And he says that this whole system that we have now will, is, is bound on a, on a collision course with the, with the whole purpose of evolution. And it, yeah, but he says in that, pr he says that has to happen partly because we have to learn something. It's a great initiation. And once one shifts one's consciousness up to a greater perspective, then even the things that we call disasters now are not disasters. When you see them in a greater perspective, if you only think you have one life and all that stuff and all those sort of things, 
and you're a total dyed-in-the-wool materialist, then you have good reason to be very, very, very depressed indeed, and just to keep taking your stereotypes or whatever it is you take to lift you out, because it won't. But if you shift your perspective and you really live into those ideas, you realize that you know all the great initiates have said they, they sense a disaster and they, have, they stay where there's going to be a disaster, they know, because they have to, and when it happens, the very fact that their consciousness is there can help people deal with the disaster when it's coming. Until human beings have got to this level, the true sort of Christ consciousness, which all the greatest teachers have also mirrored in a lesser way, in, it's got to be the point that I would rather die than kill. Uh, a human being has got to get to that level. It's not a matter of being namby-pamby. It takes much, much greater courage, like the Buddhist monk who says, you know, I don't soldiers just don't cut, cut, chop off your head, it wouldn't bat an eyelid. And the Buddhist monk says, I wouldn't bat an eyelid if you did. The soldier then falls down and collapses in sort of, you know, he can't, he can't do anything. And that's, that's the state one's got to get to. And when that state is reached, I mean, this is the whole idea, when morality becomes so intrinsically a part of a human being, and that is based on love, and that is based on the actual organism literally feeling what others feel, and that's an evolutionary thing, then, you know, we won't need all these systems that we've got now. I mean, all these systems are based on fear. All of these checks and balances, legal system, police, all these, you know, things with the ID cards, everything that now is based is security, because there's no security against... The human being is not strong enough to transform and stand up. It has no discrimination against these beings that want to steer us in other directions. I mean, the attack on humanity is immense. But, uh, you know, I have absolute, absolute, unshakable, I'll say it's more than belief, that we are, we are going to prevail.